come to occult experiments in the home, magic, spirituality and the paranormal in personal experience and in practice. In previous episodes, we've explored ideas around communication with the dead and the idea of ghosts. But what I'm going to try to do in this episode is to talk about some ideas around what might be another version of what happens to us after we die. The idea of reincarnation. This concept throws up a huge mass of queries, problems, different viewpoints and perspectives. But what I'm going to try to do is what we generally always try to do here, which is to see if we can ground what's being talked about in our experience. If there is such a thing as reincarnation, then how does that make itself felt in our everyday life? In previous episodes, we've considered the question of contact with the dead, and it felt like we didn't have to look very far before coming across ways in which the dead could be said to manifest in the world of the living. For instance, the idea today of generational trauma has a fair amount of credence in the fields of psychology and counselling. And what is generational trauma if it's not, in a very direct sense, the impact, the communication from the dead to the living? But I think things might be much less clear-cut in the case of reincarnation. How do our past lives, if they exist, present themselves to us in a form of which we can definitely say that's a past life. If we take an alternative view that past lives are things that by definition we can't remember, maybe because the process of dying and being reborn again is so traumatic or overwhelming in some way that it makes the continuation of memory impossible. Or if it's the case that it's only some sort of accident that enables us to remember a past life, then in either of those cases, the whole notion of reincarnation doesn't seem worth paying much attention to. If it doesn't or can't have any impact on my experience right now, then I found myself wondering why it's worth thinking about at all. However, of course I am thinking about it. And the reason for my thinking about it is people, some of them of my acquaintance, do claim to remember their past lives. Some of them are advanced spiritual practitioners. There was a recent episode of the Guru Viking podcast in which an extremely proficient meditation practitioner, Delson Armstrong, talked about his memories of a past life. And rather strikingly, there was a, a little bit of evidence in his current life that pointed to those memories possibly being true. And of course, the Buddha talked about rebirth very much as if it was a thing, as we'll discuss in a little bit more detail later on. 
So I have to ask myself the question, is it the case that I'm missing something? Could it be only my own lack of understanding or insight preventing me from gaining access to memories of past lives or preventing me from seeing something in my present experience that entails the truth of reincarnation. So what do you do when you want to experience the truth of something? Well, you can perform a magical working and down the years I have performed several magical rituals with the stated intention of arriving at knowledge of past lives. The first of these took place in February 2010, a working that I did with my magical colleague Alan Chapman. And looking back at the transcript that we made of what happened, it looks as if Alan had probably recently invested in a copy of Skinner and Rankine's Practical Angel Magic of Dr. John Dee's Enochian Tables. I can't remember what the procedures were. Presumably we followed them to some extent. And we evoked a spirit by the name Autotar in order to ask it about our past lives, among various other things. Alan was doing the ceremonial stuff and I was doing the scrying and I had a really strong sense that this spirit wanted to manifest vocally, it wanted to speak, but we didn't have much luck with a physical manifestation or with a channeling or possession type of approach either, but suddenly I had a an intuition, a brainwave, and I asked Alan if he had any tinfoil, which luckily he did. So I ended up with uh, tinfoil all over my head, which made a constant crinkling, crackling sound in my ears. And it was having that sound going on as a kind of randomised medium that I started to hear the voice of the spirit manifesting. And that was how we arrived at the answers to our questions. So Alan asked about his past lives and got various names and details and dates, which I won't go into here, but then I asked for myself, and what I was told in response was that I used to be somebody named Otto Berg. According to Otto Tarr, Alan and I knew each other during the time that I was Otto Berg, it was the 19th century and we were both German. So there it was. The spirit had provided exactly the information we'd asked for. Details of a past life. Otto Berg sounded to me like it was quite possibly a fairly common name in Germany. But searching online yielded that there had been a famous Otto Berg who'd been born in 1873 and lived until 1939. He was a German chemist and x-ray specialist and had been part of the team that had discovered the element rhenium in 1925. The only trouble was I couldn't remember being Otto Berg and nothing about the details of his life struck any particular chord with me. It was the case that chemistry was 
my favourite and best science subject at school, but I never studied it past the age of 16. So there seemed to be no affinity there whatsoever. The kind of working that we'd done there doesn't really seem to lead anywhere. Because without some sort of personal experience of some kind of affinity between ourselves and whoever it was that we were supposed once to have been, then it's clear that anybody could have been anybody. Reincarnation seems completely meaningless. This apparent lack of relevance to our everyday lives is perhaps one of the factors that has inspired contemporary Western Buddhists, some of them, to just throw out the idea of reincarnation altogether. Which is quite a striking thing to do, because when we think of reincarnation, thoughts of Buddhism probably aren't very far away. Buddhism is a major world religion, and the Buddha did uphold the notion of reincarnation as a reality. The main focus of his teaching was, of course, upon the escape from suffering through awakening. But how many people attain awakening? It's a minority. And if you throw out the idea of reincarnation, then that means we only have this lifetime to do it in which might be a bit of a demotivating factor. People might wonder why they should bother. And if they are suffering, well, it'll be over pretty soon in any case, and they won't have to worry about coming back. Stephen Batchelor is a Buddhist teacher who's probably been one of the most vocal in suggesting a certain detachment from reincarnation as a matter of dogma or doctrine. A genuine spiritual attitude, Stephen Batchelor says, implies the courage to confront what it means to be human. All the pictures I entertain of heaven and hell or cycles of rebirth merely serve to replace the overwhelming reality of the unknown with what is known and acceptable. In this sense, to cling to the idea of rebirth, rather than treating it as a useful symbol or hypothesis, can be spiritually suffocating. If we are to take Buddhism as an ongoing existential encounter with our life here and now, then we will only gain by releasing our grip on such notions. Another Western Buddhist teacher, Lee Brassington, recently expressed some similar views about reincarnation. He described it as what he calls an immortality project. People simply don't like the idea that they're going to die, so they invent comforting ideas that reassure them that somehow they'll endure beyond death, and reincarnation is just another one of those ideas. Brassington suggests that the Buddha taught reincarnation because in the places and at the time he was teaching, a lot of the people believed in that, and the Buddha knew that he wouldn't be able to get across the important things he had to say if he had to waste time arguing against such notions. What Brassington seems to imply here is that the Buddha didn't really believe in reincarnation at all, and it was just a skillful means of getting across 
the real point of his teachings, the stuff about how to end suffering. Both Stephen Batchelor and Lee Brassington offer a vision of Buddhism that seems to me to sit remarkably well with a Western, secular, materialist, scientistic outlook. Buddhism as a set of perspectives and techniques for making everyday life a little bit easier, a little bit better. And they seem to have a suspicion of religious doctrine that chimes very well with the new atheist school. People such as Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens who were very popular for a time. And it seems their view is that reincarnation is one of the elements of Buddhism that smacks too strongly of religious dogma and can be thrown out. And the reason it was there in the first place was simply as a means of motivating or engaging people at best and at worst a reassuring sop to entice and console the ignorant. But I think there are other ways, of course, than accepting it as a reality simply because the Buddha says, or viewing it as extraneous and unnecessary. Going back to the information I received from the spirit Autotar, that I was Otto Berg in another life, where did that leave me exactly? I certainly wasn't convinced by it, but what it did do was make me start to think very carefully about what would convince me. What would it take for me to feel certain that what I was experiencing in this life were somehow a connection with a life I'd lived previously? Well, it would have to be something I could identify with. It would have to be something where I could look at it and say that's a part of me or that's something that comes from me making an appearance again. But doing this, identifying with experiences, seeing in experience something that constitutes a self is exactly what the Buddha describes as being the source of delusion and suffering. So hang on a minute. Precisely the type of experience that would show us that reincarnation is true is the type of experience that the Buddha was trying to give us the means to wake up from. That seems more than a coincidence, doesn't it? And for that reason I don't really buy into these arguments that the Buddha taught reincarnation as a sop to the ignorant. In fact, I think it's a profoundly Buddhist concept and contemplation on it leads us into, I think, what are some really productive inquiries into the nature of the self and its delusory qualities. The Buddha taught that there is no self, it's an illusion. So whatever it is that gets reborn, it's not the self. Often the argument that is made is it's karma that gets reborn, karma, the effects of our actions. An analogy that comes to mind is 
Say that there's somebody who has a tennis ball and they throw this ball down a hill and it bounces all the way down this hill out of sight. And at the bottom of this hill, there's somebody walking and they see this tennis ball come bouncing towards them and they don't know where it's come from and they can't see who has thrown it, but they catch it. And now they regard that tennis ball as theirs. Maybe reincarnation is something a bit like this. The throwing of the tennis ball is the effects of karma. And the road going down the hill is time. We've got two people who are linked by the throwing of the tennis ball. One throws, one catches. But they're both the same in the respect that they assume the tennis ball is theirs. Surely it can't really belong to both of them. Well, yes, in one sense it can. But also in another sense, it's just a tennis ball. And as a tennis ball, it doesn't belong to anybody. It never has, never will. In previous episodes where we've talked about encounters with ghosts or the relationship of the living to the dead. There's often a sense here that the dead confront us with something other. We reach a point of realisation where we perceive that something is coming into our lives that isn't us. But in relation to this, something perhaps starkly different is happening with reincarnation. Rather than being confronted with something other, reincarnation seems to be about us actively fastening on to something that is the same. The ball gets thrown down the hill and we actively go out of our way to catch it, to pick that ball up and carry it, until presumably we at some point throw it on for someone else to find and pick up. Ghosts and the dead aren't generally thought of as returning back into the world of living in a physical bodily form. But that is precisely what reincarnated people do. And that difference set me wondering about what close relatives in a phenomenal sense there might be with reincarnation. And three types of phenomenon sprang to mind. There could be more, of course. But the ones that occurred to me were incorruptibles, stigmatics, and cases of apparently anomalous effects after receiving transplanted organs. It might sound a bit odd to make these comparisons, but bear with me. If we think about incorruptibles, first of all, these are cases of holy people, often saints, whose bodies seem to resist decomposition after death. They hang around in a state of preservation, sometimes for centuries. Sometimes their corpses are said to emit a perfume that smells like flowers, roses, the so-called odour of sanctity. So, incorruptibles are like reincarnated people in the sense that they persist physically on earth but they achieve this not by 
being reborn, but by never passing away in the first place. Their bodies remain intact. It's not so much the person who has passed away grasping on to another identity in some sense, but the living do that for them by never letting hold of their current identity. Usually when somebody dies and becomes a corpse, it's a very good idea to dispose of that corpse before it becomes offensive and a health hazard. But in the case of an incorruptible, they're not objectionable as a corpse. In fact, they become an object of reverence and awe. They are able to persist on the physical plane because there's a sense that they're as lovely now as they always were. That in this form they go on being a saint or a holy person just as much after death as they did when they were alive. Reincarnation isn't a part of Christian teachings, of course, but I wonder if there is something a little bit like reincarnation in the idea of stigmata, those cases of people who develop wounds, actual physical wounds, corresponding to the wounds that Christ received during the crucifixion. It's interesting here how sometimes there have been reports of cases of reincarnation where a child has a mark on their body in the place of where the person they are supposed to have been formerly had no lethal injury. And this is what can lead the people involved to assume that the child is the person who has died reborn. But this is very far from what we assume in the case of stigmata. We don't assume that the person who is manifesting the wounds of Christ is Christ reborn. There's no reincarnation for ordinary mortals in Christianity. But Christ, on the other hand, does seem set apart by this ability that he has to return in the second coming, in the transubstantiation of his flesh and blood in the Catholic Mass. And also it would seem in stigmatics, where, to return to our earlier analogy, the person experiencing the wounds of Christ seems to have caught the tennis ball. <laughs> They're experiencing some of the karma of the Christ, but they don't identify it as their own. It's an encounter with the divine, but on a physical level. And it seems to be Christ's special status as the divine in human form that means he can be regarded as persisting in this way. And a final example of perhaps the dead persisting or returning on the physical plane. Those cases where people receive transplanted organs from somebody who has died and they find themselves acquiring sensations or memories or traits that appear to have belonged to that person. And of course, in the great majority of instances of transplantations, people experience nothing of the sort. But sometimes they do, and some of these cases can be quite striking, especially where changes have occurred in the behaviour, the character of the person receiving the transplant. And in the phenomenology of this, I think we run up into something different from what we've spoken of so far, a kind of limit 
because for the person who has received the transplant, this is very much not a continuation of the same, but a confrontation with the other. The experience has more in common with a haunting than with reincarnation. The reason for that, I think, is there isn't in these cases a sense of transition or separation. The person receiving the transplant hasn't died, and also it seems that neither has the organ donor completely died, but parts of their personality have seemingly taken up residence in another living person's body. To use our tennis ball analogy, it's as if the tennis ball has been grabbed while it's still in the hands of the person throwing it. The ball hasn't actually been thrown. So thinking about what those examples might have brought to light, it seems that maybe we can have an experience of being the reincarnation of somebody if we can identify with something in our experience of them what seems to be a continuation of our experience of ourselves. The means by which we experience the continuation of ourselves we generally call memory. Memory is a linking between what's happening now and something that happened then. But as we know, memory is a very malleable thing. And what we remember isn't necessarily what actually happened. In which case, memory is a pretty difficult thing to define. What is a memory? To regard memory as simply a kind of recording of something that happened certainly isn't sufficient. And equally, I think we're on precarious ground. If we suppose that someone's experience of a past life necessarily constitutes a memory... The thing is, if we're going to suppose that reincarnation is something that actually happens, then we've opened Pandora's box. If you entertain one paranormal hypothesis, then you've opened the floodgates to all of them. If a child recalls what seem to be experiences from a former life, how do we know this is reincarnation and not instead some instance of telepathy or some kind of clairvoyant ability to access the Akashic records. The idea that knowledge of past lives could or does come to us as memories is problematic, I think. As we saw earlier, in a Buddhist framework, it seems to be the case that what gets reborn is not the self, but karma the effects of past deeds and actions. Now, our actions and the effects of them have impacts upon the world, but those impacts are not necessarily memories. They may have impacts that shape other people's experiences, and they may have memories of those experiences. But the karma itself, the action, the effects of the action... That's what supposedly gets reborn. This is where our analogy of the tennis ball breaks down. Because it becomes apparent at this point that what gets thrown and what gets caught doesn't really have a form that we can really identify. Could be a tennis ball, could be a rugby ball, could be a frisbee or a brick. We can't really say what it is. 
except that we catch it and when we catch it it has an effect on us and we identify that effect as a continuation of ourselves in some sense as we saw earlier asking spirits for information about past lives doesn't really facilitate the kind of experience just described however that didn't prevent me and Alan from trying it again and curiously we did get something closer maybe to what I've just outlined the difference the key difference I think was that we presented it as a group working this time we evoked a mighty Enochian spirit called Ehe Nebe and I was in a trance and conveying information about past lives to participants who I couldn't see or identify but who I was in physical contact with. Afterwards quite a few of the participants were taken aback by the information that they'd received. The spirit had told one guy that in a previous life he'd worked with wild animals and it turned out that unbeknownst to anybody present he'd actually worked with animals in his current life. Another person the spirit had told that in their previous life they died blind and disabled and curiously this person had been told the very same thing previously by a number of psychics that they'd consulted and then there was someone else the spirit had said that in a previous life he'd had a strong connection with a tantric deity and again this was something that had resonance with their current life they'd recently been thinking about and developing an interest and a connection with a deity in that tradition so this working maybe exemplifies some of the factors that we've been considering that maybe we start to get a glimmer of a sense of a past life if there's something in this life that we can identify as a continuation of the same like the guy who was told that he worked with wild animals that seemed to him as if it could be true, real because he had worked in this life with wild animals he doesn't have a memory of that from a past life but there is maybe a sense there that there could be something a tendency, a trait, a predisposition, some karma in other words, that affects him in such a way that working with wild animals is something that he's likely to do. So, a little recap. Some of the ideas that I've found useful down the years in my efforts to try and situate within my own experience what it might be that could be considered reincarnation. Number one, the idea that what gets reborn is not the self, but karma. Number two, what characterises rebirth is us noticing ourselves reaching for a continuation of the same rather than a confrontation with something other. And thirdly, this idea that knowledge of past lives may not necessarily take the form of memory because karma although it's something that can act upon experience it's not experience itself you can't remember karma because it's not something that falls within experience although the effects 
of karma can, of course, give rise to experiences. Now, what I experienced during that working, when I asked the spirit to show me my past life, was a kind of vision, a kind of fantasy. But interestingly, the scene that I saw seemed as if it were taking place in some ruined buildings that were next to the house that I grew up in and formed one of my earliest memories. So the experience of this vision did have an odd mix of a sense of something that seemed as if it might have actually have happened with other things that definitely felt new, never seen before. I saw myself as an old man who'd been abandoned in a dilapidated cottage. He'd had a lot of people around him once, but they'd all drifted away. And there was a sense that maybe he had a daughter who was no longer coming to visit him. In the words that we recorded as part of the working, it says, It's as if this house is falling down all around him and all the money has gone. And he can't control what's happening anymore. He's just going into a decline. And it wasn't the first time I'd encountered an idea, an image like this. Previously, someone else had presented a working at a magical meeting in which they'd done a hypnotic regression to lead us back to past lives. And I'd seen something similar then. During some therapy I did this year, we did some past life regression work and images surfaced there of myself as an old man helpless in a place like a workhouse or prison about to be wheeled off to a hospital wing where I knew that I was going to die but not being able to do anything about it or protest. The vision of the dilapidated house had a feeling about it as if it might be a hundred or two hundred years ago. But the images that surfaced in therapy seemed more recent, as if they were from the beginning of the 20th century, or that was the feeling anyway. So there seems to be a bit of a theme, a bit of a pattern about abandonment, decline, isolation, helplessness occurring in old age and the sense that everything that was had has dwindled and ebbed away. And what prevents me from just writing it off as random fantasy is that I think I do identify in myself a tendency to isolate myself as a defence when times get tricky. So in both of these sets of images there might be a predisposition for me to identify a continuation of the same, a continuation of this trait to withdraw, fade away, become isolated when things are difficult. Could this indeed be the particular tennis ball of karma that I happen to have caught and are carrying in this lifetime and through other lifetimes? I think we have to see reincarnation in terms of a continuation of stuff that we carry with us, issues that we carry with us, rather than any sense of a continuing identity. Because, well, let's suppose for a moment that I was Queen Cleopatra 
in a past life. Well, if as a human being I'm subject to reincarnation, then so was she. Queen Cleopatra was also the reincarnation of somebody prior. And presumably, if I'm the reincarnation of Queen Cleopatra, I'm also the reincarnation of whoever she was the reincarnation of. When we look at it from this perspective, what quickly becomes apparent is a sense that something expresses itself in different forms down through time, but never, never ever appears as itself. Rudolf Steiner had an interesting take on this and what it might mean. Each individual is, in fact, said Steiner, his own species. So, in other words, just as every living creature is an instance of its species, but the species itself is something a manifest, something abstract, so each individual human, according to Steiner, is an instance of a unmanifest individuality. That individuality never gets born in a final, definite form, but plays out its destiny through a sequence of human lives. From this perspective, it doesn't make any sense to say that I was Cleopatra, but instead it's more helpful to think of me and Cleopatra as belonging to the same species, that we're the same kind of thing, a continuation of the same thing lived out in different lives. Maybe one way of looking at reincarnation is to see it in the following terms, which I think are so general that this would probably be acceptable even to secular materialists, maybe. But what you could say that reincarnation means at its very basic root is that after you die, somebody like you, sooner or later, will very probably (laughs) come along, be born. After you die, somebody with a similar personality to you will probably at some point come along and they may live out their life in a way that has a lot in common with yours, to a greater or lesser degree. There was a curious and interesting book I came across a while back called 100 Reincarnation Cases in Pingyang. And this was by a guy who travelled to a particular region in China, inhabited predominantly by a particular ethnic Chinese group where reincarnation was very much a part of the tradition of the local people. Children would sometimes talk about memories of being somebody else, and these would be accepted by adults, and often there would be visits and relationships formed with the previous family that the child had supposedly lived with before. The title of the book, you know, 100 Cases, gives the sense that the author probably could have got hold of plenty more if he'd been so minded. You get the feeling that it's not a rare and infrequent thing in that part of the world. But one of the things that struck me about the book was in contrast to our culture, where we're 
encouraged to think of ourselves as unique and to strive in all sorts of different ways to distinguish ourselves, make ourselves appear different from other people. In contrast to that, this was a very agricultural region of China and these were ordinary people and for me reading it there was very much a sense of a lot of people leading pretty much very similar lives to one another and was it in fact any wonder if things that came out of children's mouths corresponded with things in reality and particular traits and behaviours were being found that corresponded with other people in the past. I think in our culture we do all that we can a lot of the time to try and obscure the fact that we are all probably a lot more similar than not. Very probably, after we die, somebody a lot like us may come along and they may not have the same identity as us, they may not have the same self, because even we don't have a self. As we know from the Buddha, that sense of being a separate self is an illusion. But it might be said that this person is a lot like us, a member of the same species as us, in the sense that they carry the same or similar karma. They approach the dilemma of being human in a similar way to what we did. Rudolf Steiner himself claims to have worked out who he was in a previous life. Or, we should say, he worked out what species he belonged to and one of the other members of that species. He kept this quiet during his lifetime, but it became more widely known after his death. But apparently, Steiner was the reincarnation of St Thomas Aquinas, the 13th century saint and theologian and doctor of the Catholic Church. At a surface level, Steiner and Aquinas had very different ideas about the way the universe works, I think. But that's not the crucial thing, because if, as Steiner suggests, we're all the manifestation of an individual soul that never manifests then neither he nor Aquinas are that, and both of them stand in an equal relationship to it. But both of them can perhaps be viewed as members of the same species in the sense that they came at life with what seems to be the idea of a similar mission. Aquinas, in his system of thought, applied Aristotle to Christianity. Aristotle was regarded in the medieval period as the greatest classical mind, and Aquinas was the one who was able to enlist Aristotle as an ally of Christianity, even though, of course, he was a pagan. Steiner's life, perhaps, was dedicated to a similar end. He applied contemporary philosophy and science, and presented a rational path to spiritual knowledge in the same way that Aquinas did during his age. It's important to highlight, I think, that there are significant differences between what Steiner understands by reincarnation and what the Buddha taught. In Buddhism, 
The idea is to get off the wheel of rebirth as soon as possible. Awakening supposedly changes the relationship to one's karma. Having woken up to the truth of no-self, we no longer find ourselves unavoidably throwing that tennis ball down the road. A Buddha escapes rebirth and abides in nirvana. They're no longer a member of a species of human being because they no longer have any karma that's like anything else or anyone else's. So it's bye-bye Buddha. But for Steiner, there are many levels of being that we're all on a journey through, evolving upwards and upwards through unimaginable stretches of time. Rebirth is simply the means by which we continue on this journey over ages and ages. And yes, from Steiner's perspective, a Buddha may very well have escaped rebirth on the physical plane, but they will make a reappearance on the etheric plane, and after that the astral plane, and various ones beyond and above. In Steiner's philosophy, there's very much a sense of humanity itself as a huge collective process on a journey. We're all on a journey together, and we're all just a tiny part of the universe itself, creation itself, unfolding. And personally, as I was saying earlier, I find that that kind of view actually inspires and motivates me more in this life than the secular Western atheist Buddhist view of one single life and Buddhism as a box of tricks to try and make things more tolerable. If we're choosing to work with an idea of reincarnation, then I think it's important that we look for ways to explore and situate that within our experience now. That karma that we're carrying, it defines our particular way of being human in an absolute sense. We're never born and we never die because what we truly are never manifests. But it's in our own particular way of misrecognising and falling away from that absolute truth that we make our impacts on the world. And if we're thinking about how that might continue to express itself in the world after we've gone, or about what we're continuing to express in the world that came before us, in other words, what we might suppose as being our future rebirths and our previous incarnations, then this is what we need to be looking at maybe in our experience and in our practice. We need to become as aware as we can of the nature of our karma and its impacts. And then once we can see the nature of this tennis ball that we're carrying, maybe we'll have a bit more awareness when it comes to throwing it down the road. Well, that's it for this time. Remember to be kind to yourself, because I think that's an important part of the practice of bringing karma to light. It can be difficult, it can be demoralising. We can find things that we perhaps wish we hadn't found. 
and in those situations it's important to exercise some self-compassion I think so take care do remember that it's possible to support the podcast and get access to extra material at patreon.com slash oeith I hope we speak soon bye bye